I learned to put value first. And that has impacted the way I build products, software products. I try to get people to their, the moment of value recognition. There's probably a better name of this, but it's like when you first feel, oh, this is what it's going to help me with. Right? When you when you first log into a thing and you type your first the message or you, you, you upload your first file and bam, it does the thing that takes you an hour, did it in two seconds. Welcome to the Undefeated Underdogs podcast, where I unpack and narrate stories of ambitious people who turn obstacles into opportunities. My goal for this podcast is to create a platform to narrate underdog stories and maybe play a small, teeny tiny role in inspiring you. I intend to highlight the underdog mentality and make authentic conversations with people who play the long game, take action with the chip on their shoulder, and convert obstacles into opportunities. Buckle up, as I'll be bringing some authentic founders, VCs, community builders, and content creators who got underestimated their whole lives, and yet they beat all the odds to become insanely successful. Now, today I want to tell you a little bit about our awesome sponsor, Acquire.com. Selling a business is as tough as building a business. As someone who went through this process once, selling my own startup, I know the pain it takes to get to the end zone. This is where our sponsor shines. Imagine this, you're a founder who's built a solid SaaS product, acquired customers and generating consistent monthly revenue. The problem is you're not growing forever for whatever reason, lack of focus, lack of skill, or just plain lack of interest and you feel stuck. What should you do? The story I'd like to hear is you buckle down, somehow reignited the fire, get past yourself and the cliches and start working on your business rather than just in the business. You start building an audience, move out of your comfort zone to do sales and marketing. And in six months, you triple your revenue. The reality isn't as simple. Situations may be different from every founder facing these crossroads, but too many times the story ends up being one of inaction and stagnation until the, become business, the business becomes less valuable or worse, worthless. If you find yourself here or your story is likely headed down a similar road, I offer you a third option. Consider selling your business on acquire.com. Capitalizing on the value of your time is a smart move. Acquire.com is free to list and they've helped hundreds of founders already. Go to try.acquire.com slash Sharad and see for yourself if this is the right option for you. Now, let's get into today's episode. Have you ever wondered that kindness is a superpower? Well, my next guest abused it and he's one of my favorite, 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 favorite people on the whole planet. Uh, I had so many incredible calls with him. He's, he's kind of like a, like a mentor slash good friend who helped me in my journey as a SaaS founder. And oh my God, I can, I can talk about this guest for hours. And he's been on this show before. So you can tell how excited I am to bring him back. But he's on a new journey right now, which I'm really excited to unpack. Uh, and he's, he's sold companies before for lines changing amount. He's an author for three books, amazing books. And he's, he has this course that you can buy on his link tree. Oh, I, I can go on and on, but without further ado, I want to welcome my very, very, very good friend who recently turned 39, Arvid Kahl. Welcome hey. to the show. How oh, are you, so Arvid? Welcome back. 
Oh man, thanks so much for having me, and thanks for having me back. That tends to be a good sign, <laughs> you know. I'm really yes. glad. glad to be able to still be able to talk to you, even though we already talked for hours and hours. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really nice. Absolutely. I'm, I'm th thank you for saying all these kind things about me. I, it, it's it's super appreciated, and you know, we all live in a bubble sometimes where we mm. don't really hear what our actions do, right, yes. and uh, how we relate to other people and how other pe people relate to us. So yeah. this is extremely appreciated for somebody who's living in his basement. You know, like <laughs> a beautiful <laughs> basement, I would it, say. Yeah, I, I, I took took some time and effort to make it nice, but yes, it's uh it's still a basement. I think that's yes. something that a lot of founders can probably understand, like the being kind of boxed into your own world, mm. both you know intellectually, like only yeah. you really care about these things. Nobody around you cares about entrepreneurship or SaaS or MRR or whatever, and physically because you have to focus so much of your time on that that work, right, on the product, on on marketing or whatever you need to do. Yeah. So it's nice to to hear this from outside of my own basement. <laughs> I really appreciate it. No, no, I think you're absolutely right on that point because you know, oftentimes we are so busy hustling, mm -hmm. and like you said, we live in our own world. We really don't bother about what we are trying to impact outside. Yeah, so right. we're very busy figuring things out internally, which is a which is. You know, this is very important, right? You have to fix yourself first before you fix someone else, right? Yes. You, you change yourself first before changing someone else. But uh, I do want to also mention something about you, which I kind of steal, replicate, and try to amplify as much as I can, which is really giving a space for other people to, you're, you actually open doors for other people to excel, mm -hmm. you know, and you put a spotlight. So, which I think I've done that before meeting you, but not to the scale you do it like on a day-to-day -day basis, not week to week or month to month. You literally do day-to-day -day basis. You retweet some of the people, some of the things people share on public, in public, whether the highs or the lows, whatever it is, regardless of your uh, brand and your name, you just don't care about that where most of the people care a lot about their personal like you know the space mm -hmm. that's why i think i appreciate you so much and okay. i i have like you know uh no boundaries to really appreciate you i i really want if i can come to canada and hug you i think you live still in canada right yeah i'll take it <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we should definitely hang out sometime but uh what's okay let's start about the small basement. I think last yes. time when you're here, yeah. you had like this big setup of huge monitors. Yeah. You're still like, you know, in you just moved into this new house. I, I remember right. that. And you're you're setting up the studio and now it's, now it's like, done. you know, it's yeah, professional. We... You you look so good. The lighting <laughs> is so good. Some of the things that maybe like, you know, you should recommend me. <laughs> so how's the process like? What's life outside? Let's talk about mm -hmm. I think everybody talks about building SaaS and yeah. all that. I want to talk about like how's life in general. How yeah. are you feeling these days? Oh, any you. highs, any any lows? And I want to talk about your office manager. Let's okay. start with that. <laughs> well, yeah, our office manager is now uh, almost two years old. Uh, she's a Labrador Retriever, and her name is Bina, which is German for honeybee because nice. you know I'm German, and we wanted to bring <laughs> some Germanness into this this Canadian place and for this Canadian dog. So. Uh, I think that's important. I really love that you pick Bina as the topic for this because Bina is something that has very little to do mm -hmm. with 
software or with entrepreneurship. Yes. She's a family member, right? She's a, she's a dog. She's a companion. She's a pet. She's part of my life beyond the computer. And it's, it's also nice that you bring up all the screens because right now what I'm looking at you through as we're recording this for everybody who's watching, they can probably see this, but the people who are listening, I'm looking into a teleprompter mm. with your face on it. And that's kind of the only screen in front of me at this point. Mm. Like I, I have pushed all my big screens, all my, my big, you know, LCD, fancy 4k retina yeah, yeah, screens yeah. all into a different space because in this moment, I want to be with you. I don't mm. want to be with my weird like analytics tools that show me fancy graphs, or I don't want to be with my Twitter timeline that just zooms by or whatever. I want to be able to focus on, on this, on our conversation. And I found in having moved to Canada and having been in Canada, a Canadian and living my Canadian life here with, with the family of my partner of Danielle, which is the place that we moved to, right? Where her family mm -hmm. is very easily reached all the way from Europe, where we had barely any family to ever meet. I found that this has become way more important to me than it ever used to be. And you, you uh, mentioned that I was almost 40. I think I'm now at a point where my priorities are shifting from doing in, into being. Right? And I know this sounds kind of cheesy, but the idea is my impact on the world is more than the code that I write or even, even the books that I write, the, the articles that I write. They do channel a lot of it, but my impact comes not from the words. It comes from the, the impact that those words have, right? The, the relationships that I build through my writing, through my software engineering and through my public speaking and all these little things that I do. The, the thing that actually makes my legacy happen is other people, right? It's my work that helps other people, just like you said, opens the door for them, but they still have to go through that door and yes. they still have to make their own legacy happen so that mine can also exist. So right. when you mentioned that a lot of people don't do that, I was thinking about instant gratification versus delayed gratification. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think I'm in the very lucky position to have been gratified already. You talked about the sale of the business mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. to have the means to sustain my life from that plus all the other things that I do. I have a lot of sponsors on my podcast. I have books that I, that sell the courses mm -hmm. and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are many, many revenue sources that I have. I think I, when I last counted, it was like 16, 17 different sources of revenue Ooh. that just, it, it makes tax season very interesting, but you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> sometimes it's just really small stuff like affiliate links that are still somewhere out there and they're making me a couple hundred bucks a month or whatever, right? Little things that all add up to significant amounts of money. So they're not all equally big, but they are many and they are diverse. So if one breaks away, you know, I'll find another one or I'm right. fine with one less. So that, that I diversify in, in that regard, but you know, the, um, the the connection part where being connected to people having relationships with people that has become much more imp imp important in my life mm -hmm. you know evidencing this like i'm taking more time to spend with my family and this basement studio as much as i love it and I, as much as i spend time in it i spend a, a fraction a tiny fraction of time of my full life in this room in my 20s, I would have been here 24-7, yes. right? Probably also because I was severely World of Warcraft addicted that I would have just played <laughs> games the whole time. But right. I, I would have made this my life, the center of my life. Right but now, this is the place that I go to work. Like it literally is a home office. It's not the place in my home where I hang out. This is why I do office work. And that can be many different things. But right. it has become much more important for me to spend time with my family, both mm. in this house, upstairs, right? Yeah. or 
in with the extended family we, we just were hanging out with them like last night until very late because it's nice it's nice to have something to do with people mm. and i feel this is a shift that i've been experiencing so when you ask me how i am i think i'm more present with the people that i'm here for that's 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 my knife and, and i tried to do the same on twitter i try to be more present right. with people there yes so i think presence maybe the the theme of this this these couple of years for me mm, i love that i love that i think i see a lot of intentionality you are always intentional you know uh but i think you're you're at peace yeah i would say you're i at, think so too yeah. you're not you're not chasing anything i do have i do have a question about what is that what is the arvid the the you know close to 40 year old arvid you're still young by the way yeah. you're beautiful you're young you're energetic that arvid you know you have so much gas we all have so much gas left in our tanks yeah. right and one thing i i kind of also uh, going through the photos and moving to this new house by the way this is the first episode i'm recording in this new house as you can see if you're yes. listening if you you use uh, <laughs> watching the podcast i have like so many unboxed you know <laughs> i love it <laughs> things. so it's all scrappy which i love so i, yep. I didn't change anything for him because he's authentic <laughs> as, as so so much as me yeah one thing i observed is that uh the scale and everything changes as you grow like yeah. you said as we grow i think it's true that we get little uh wiser mm-hmm. our choices are very intentional our priorities change we want to spend more time with the loved ones and uh and we just choose to not be the 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 own selves that we were before right yeah. which is which is a great way to put it in this transition i see a lot of intentionality to your face mm-hmm. but at the same time i do have this question about like what are you like you know what is the grand vision like what is the next 60 years of arvid like mm-hmm. are you talk about legacy which i think is cemented as of now because you have so many people uh being impacted by your work mm-hmm. what's the next 60 years like yeah i think that that is something that i ask myself all the time because the, the, it's kind of a graduation right when you when you have nothing you want a little bit and then you have a little bit and you get used to this it's kind of the hedonic adaptation thing you want a little bit more and you get used to that and you want a little bit more i try not to f- to fall into this trap too much because at at the mm. scale that i can operate right now like with having a 130 some thousand followers on twitter mm. and probably 200k by the end of the year or yeah. wherever it goes yeah. right yeah. it it feels like you have to do more for more people because that's just kind of how the the, sure. the multiplicative nature of that math is yep i try to actively keep myself from falling into this into this mm. trap because i'm noticing one thing with all the other wonderful people that i have kind of grown with over the last couple of years the ones that have witnessed explosive growth to their audience they are becoming distant to every single member of their audience like it's just that at the sheer scale of having 200 500 a million followers you cannot relate with two pe- to individual people anymore yep. when you start relating to kind of a shadow of a group of people like a, an, an amalgamated average kind of person that you right. think most people are or are ish right so it's um it's a problem that i see and i don't want to be that person i don't want to be the person that people cannot talk to that mm. they can't have a chat with that they 
have to jump through hoops to even have the chance for an audience like the like the, the royal courts right you would go and the king sits on the throne that kind of stuff i don't i don't want that because i mm. hate it when other people do that to me and i don't want to mm. be that person for other people so right. when it comes to scale when it comes to the the size of, of my legacy all i really want is to be present in people's journeys and every now and then Give a little push in the right direction. That's all I want. I don't want to do this like for millions. I don't want to do it for 10. I want to do it for however many people feel that they have a vibe with me. Right? Mm. If, if, my, if, if today nobody would ever follow me again on Twitter, that would be perfectly fine. I, I do not seek the number. I have the number and I'm glad that with it come a lot of benefits, obviously, right? Like I wouldn't have my sponsors and I wouldn't have my yep. podcast and all the, the success that I have without a sizable following. Right. But I don't do it for the sake of the number going up. So my legacy is not tied to this. I think my legacy is that every now and then I want to just get a nice message by somebody who, who I helped a little bit. That's, I, mean, I, I set super low expectations for this kind of stuff <laughs> because it's, it's super easy to be pleasantly surprised if your expectations right. are low. So that's kind of how I operate there. But, but realistically, I want to keep building. I want to keep writing. I want to keep building software businesses, which I've recently started again because I just yes. had to. I felt like it. Mm -hmm. And I, I intend to talk to you about this because I, I think you might find that interesting as somebody who's also building at the same time. Yes. I, I want to be able to go back and forth between being a teacher and being a maker. Maybe that's the legacy. The legacy mm. is this kind of pendulum that swings back and forth between teaching, implementing. Learning, teaching, implementing. I call this kind of the learn-teach cycle. As I'm writing my next book about building in public right now, I feel this is one of the, the, the core constant patterns that I see when people successfully build in public. They have this, this and, and I think you have this a lot in product development too, right? You, you get yeah. feedback, you incorporate it in your product, you search for new right. feedback, you learn from that, you incorporate it into your product, product gets better, you get different feedback, and so on. It's a cycle. And it's the same in building in public. You you learn something on your journey, you share it as you go, you get feedback from people, you incorporate that feedback into your journey, and then it does another loop. And between learning and teaching, some people do it constantly all the time, they switch back and forth. I think for me, I am more of a, you know, a time boxing kind of person, I need a couple months, a couple of years at a thing to be really mm. intensely uh, integrated or have it integrated into my life. And then I switch back. So mm. I think I'm now at this turning point where my my writing uh, focus is kind of shifting back into coding. I still write just right. as much as I still coded while I was writing, but right. it's, it's kind of, you know, just oscillating between these two extremes. Mm. I kind of want to keep doing this until I can't see anything anymore or until <laughs> I can't write anymore because, you know, I'm, I'm shivering all the time or whatever. I, right. I, I, I don't see any reason to not keep, keep doing this. See, I think I love the way you put it about contentment right you're not chasing the number which is i think probably uh at, at your stage at your level that's the wisest the, that's the wise part i'm talking about which is once you reach to that number or whatever it is like you sold a life company for like life-changing amount there is nothing to be kind of like you know there to chase yeah. and that is good for this reason because you're very intentional you want to do things for yourself uh for meaning you're chasing meaning i would say uh, but at the same time also you have to keep the thing moving because you want to become better as a yeah, as an individual right. right so yeah. i think that is like the constant battle even i face as well which is what is next I, honestly i think you know yeah. it's there is no right answer for it there is not that nothing that you can 
there is no genie that comes out and say hey hey yo okay this is the path go there yeah there's a there's a motivational issue here too and and i feel this and you probably feel this too like if if you if you just want to build because you enjoy building you still need a motivation to do it, right? You still need a reason to commit that hour instead of playing with your kids or, you know, hanging out with your, your partner or going for a walk and just enjoying the beautiful world that we live in, right? There, there are many things you could be doing instead of coding yet another feature for a product. There's, there's right. a lot. Yeah. And I, the, the, the hard part is for me, much of the motivation at least used to be that other people already did it and they became successful. Right. Like whenever I see people like Peter Levels, these indie mm. hackers that have accomplished so much, right. I have to actively suppress this longing to be like Peter. Mm. Right. Because I know, first off, nobody can be like Peter. Yeah. Peter is very special in many ways. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's a great guy. He has a just a sense for things that he also has a sense to communicate them. He is Peter and nobody can be Peter or, or Danny Postma or, or Tebow or all these wonderful other people in our community that, that share that journey and that we know as like the celebrity indie hackers, right? Or even established SaaS founders, Rob Walling, people that have this, this massive so impact, social and entrepreneurial impact and had for decades on the community. And whenever I see them, I kind of slightly compare myself to where they are. And then I have to actively suppress the comparison because a lot of my, my past self and still some of my current self draws motivation from that comparison. I think a, a lot of founders have that, right? A lot of people want to be Absolutely. as good as person X or even sure. better than person X. And yeah. you, you only really get to see these people at their best most of the time. Maybe not Peter. Peter is also sharing the stuff that doesn't work because he's a good builder in public. But yeah. most of the people that we see being successful, we only see the successful part and we compare ourselves to that. And that causes a lot of pain, a lot of harm to our own journey. So I yeah. try to suppress that part. But then the question is, well, where do I get my motivation from if it's not from somebody else's success? Right. Uh, and that's that's the hard part, particularly if you are like an introvert, if you don't like talking to people, if you don't like, you know, pushing stuff out there for other people to latch onto, because that quickly becomes the void. It becomes the place where nobody interacts with you because it's not the kind of if, if you build it, they will come. That doesn't work. Right. So you have to push information about your work and your interests out there. And if you struggle with that, then you don't have these relationships that can foster motivation. So right. I, I don't really have a good answer to this, but I can tell you that I struggle with this a lot. Right. And meaning comes from personal interactions. So I right. push myself to communicate with people, to talk to the people I want to help, the people I want to serve. And that often replaces the stars that I, that I would follow otherwise. Right. So just real people that have real issues. Maybe that is the, the answer for this. I think, yeah, that, that I, think, I think the struggle is the answer, Arvid. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that also is maybe the case. Yeah, because Constant reflection, yeah. because you don't have a solution, you constantly kind of go back and forth in that loop. Yeah, what is the motivation? I should not compare. Yeah, why should I do this? I am good enough. Yeah, so that battle is good, and it can be like you know, if it is not balanced, then then comes the the messy part. But if yeah. you're really good at balancing things. I think the struggle is the answer because I, I kind of am the same board. I've been very intentional lately, 2024. I've had a, an amazing 2023. You know, you had an amazing 2023. Mm -hmm. It's all filled with highs and lows, unexpected things. So after going through all this, I'm like, you know what? You know, just fuck it. Like it's, it's, it's good that you have motivation, but it's really important to be intentional. 
and let life unfold itself yeah. like you can't really scheme these things right yeah. you can just be in that flow but you have to put in effort action it's not about words like you said it's about putting into effort and action that that exists that manifests into something right i think leaning towards that is much more at least to me is more rewarding mm-hmm. than planning things strategizing too much too mm-hmm. much yeah scheming too much like well, how can i get my next sponsor if i get another 10k followers mm-hmm. i get another x dollars yeah. that's definitely good that hustle is good but i think uh i feel f- for younger people mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be like a there is a kick to them yeah. uh, but at least like you know you and i for us it's just you just do things like you, even i i love the way you said at this point you just do things for yourself i saw one of your tweet about being a solopreneur right mm-hmm. it's about doing things for yourself finding people like you yeah. if it is 10 people it's fine 100 fine 1000 10000 100000 good yeah. great so th- that bracket increases but mm-hmm. the bracket it it should not be the other way it's not it should not be like top down which is yeah. i have if i have a million i'll be very happy <laughs> that's yeah yeah this that's that's the the worst uh, the the wrong way to look at it the wrong like uh, cause effect relationship that's for sure yeah And one one thing i've noticed in all of this too is being fine with it not working out like we were we were already talking about like Ooh. software projects that we're currently working on i think maybe 5 years ago maybe 10 years ago before i even started this this whole solopreneurship stuff i would have been deathly afraid of a thing not working out like an experiment that i would run. Right. i would spend a lot of time and i would kind of force it to 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 a point where you know it's a disaster because if it's not working out and you force it it's still not going to work right but it right. feels like you're putting an effort and it's completely wasted i think it both in my my writing and in my coding is like whatever this is that's what it's going to be and if nobody cares about it that is the signal that is the thing i'm actually looking sure. for right if people care about it that is wonderful and i i get to help them with it but if 10 people read it and they all tell me i don't care or if i build something like podline right i'm building a tool mm-hmm. for voice messaging for podcasters i know people use this because there mm-hmm. are competitors in the field and minus feature more feature complete if you can call it that and cheaper so with proper marketing and all that in place that that should work but even if it doesn't that is an interesting thing yeah. because the whole journey of building it that is already what i want like yeah. I, i that's what i say like building teaching building teaching yes. like the building part it informs the next teaching and if the teaching is hey projects fail and here's how to recuperate from a failed project yeah. then that building was not in vain right? right so i'm allowing myself to to feel um less threatened by failure both in coding and and in in the the writing that I do the interviews that I do maybe some don't work maybe some of my my podcast solo podcast episode they are not interesting to anybody doesn't matter it's out there for somebody yeah. else to find and if if some if I help one person just even have a new thought that's all I want right low expectations again yes. so i i don't set high expectations for success i said yes. low expectations for everything right it's it's, f- it's fine if it fails it's great if it doesn't yeah. but either way it's useful I think happiness is having low expectations that's yeah it. pretty much yeah that's really what it is yeah. it is it is like in practice if you if you just try it with so i used to be very skeptical about that statement mm-hmm. uh, like 3 4 years ago i used to think like you know these guys are crazy like people like naval and they're <laughs> like talking about happiness happiness is not having expectation it's like that's ridiculous mm-hmm. and i started like you know this small experiment about 
having low expectations about my gate men or my mailman yeah just like very simple nothing you know nothing or if i go to a restaurant I have zero expectations they 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 bring like wrong order or something yeah. that's fine yeah. then i saw like there is like this kick coming out of me oh you know what this is fine let's <laughs> actually you know turn it out turn it up a little bit yeah bigger 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 and and most of my you know uh, life experience like you said no expectations yeah. best that way uh, but i think this brings us a great transition to the the very interesting topic i want to like unpack with you yeah. sure after feedback panda you took a good amount of break mm-hmm. you wrote books you did courses you tweeted the shit out of it so much <laughs> <laughs> and you started like uh doing things in public mm-hmm. uh i'm sure you didn't do that before right you yeah. you saw this very natural authentic way of yourself expressing yourself in you know on twitter and everywhere else mm-hmm. i want to ask this who do you love the most it's a very tricky question like the the builder arvid who used to build and who is building right now yeah. now that you're back versus the the content creator arvid who's like constantly writing constantly creating podcasts like mm-hmm. you know these interviews you have solo podcasts for yourself mm-hmm. and you do the courses it's it's a ton of content 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 so mm-hmm. two questions who do you love the most who's what what which persona number mm-hmm. two is uh what did you learn from the builder persona you're implementing in the content person creator yeah. persona and vice versa okay um it's hard it's hard to answer that like in in the binary way without coming up with like a cheat excuse for to love both at the same time right like <laughs> my initial response was i i love the arvid that allows himself to be either of them at any given point that is kind of my my cheat response but if i had to pick one i think the most impactful one is still the content creator and writer right mm. i i love coding it's it's super enjoyable and uh it is it's crazy to make something that didn't exist and now it does as mm. like one of the most mind-blowing things you can do as a human i think oh. like being able to code is to me akin to wizardry it's it's magic it's magic on a level that most other people will not understand because mm. it, ta- it they might be able to learn it but hey hogwarts is a school right yep, like yeah you, <laughs> you can go to learn magic like obviously yep. in, in a fake world but <laughs> the, the the idea is that magic is learnable but it looks like magic if you don't know what it is and that's mm-hmm. what coding is to be able to uh, and particularly now with all the ai assisted coding tools like you can spin up something that does something in two days mm-hmm. like i it's it's bizarre and then mm-hmm. it exists mm-hmm. and you can charge money for it or you can just run it and have people use it right, right. It, it's incredible how fast we can create create products at this point mm-hmm. and i love that but then again when i code and i have to debug some random function somewhere because you know like there's a semicolon missing or you know <laughs> whatever these these weird minutia are it reminds me that every hour that i spent chasing like a misplaced colon or a misplaced space uh character in in my code is all about me It's all about mm. me getting the solution right. It's all about me figuring out the bug. It's a very selfish Arvid that codes. It's the exact opposite of the writer. The writer Arvid just tries to impact as many other people as possible, maybe through my own experience and maybe also in a selfish way because I get to associate myself yep. with the impact that it has, right? I I often talk about like 
selfless selfishness. Like you can still act in your own interest, but do it in a way that benefits other people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kind of the eventual reciprocity that people eventually want to give back to you. So Mm -hmm. you give them first and you just wait it out. You see how long it takes them and then it comes back to you tenfold. Obviously it, it comes back stronger, but that's coder is the selfish one. The teacher is the selfless one. And I think in oscillating between these two, I get to be both, right? Mm. So I, I do like the impactful writer more if I had to pick one, but in allowing myself to do whatever I need to do as a selfish human being or as a selfless human being, both are equally enjoyable and they do inform each other. Thank you for asking this. That's a wonderful question to to think about what does the coder learn from the writer and what does the writer learn from the coder? I think uh, as I was a coder first, the first transition for me was into writing. And I noticed that um, writing for humans is is really not unlike writing for machines. Like uh, if you coding is writing for machines, right? It's giving instructions to machines so that Man, they execute I like it. That. Right? I love like, that. I love it, that. I I I'm I am of the opinion that every single software engineer, everybody who writes code, is a writer. They just mm. have an audience that is not a human. And the more the more we get into the whole AI world, where you can't really tell the Turing test doesn't work anymore, and you're not really sure who you're interacting with. I've seen people who who work in marketing who are not coders starting to think kind of algorithmically. They're starting to think in instructional ways because now they have ChatGPT that where if they find the right prompt. ChatGPT is going to do their four hour work in like 20 seconds. So they're trying to figure out how to get to the right prompt so they can save three hours and a half, right? So people are thinking more about how can I instruct the machine in a, in a writerly way, in a, in a way that is like a human expressing something to another human, Mm. which is really interesting intersection here. But from coder to writer was like, how can I give uh, people instructions without making it like explicit, follow these kind of statement things. So I was, I was learning that coding is very determined, right? You're very uh, determinate, if that's a word, where, you, where each statement is a truthy or a falsy statement. Mm. Do this, then this, then this. There mm-hmm. is no, you know, no way in between. Yeah, yeah. Writing taught me that um, you could write the same thought in 400 different ways <laughs> and reach 400 people in different yep. ways as well. There is no clear truth in writing. So... Right. Instead of trying to find the clear truth in writing, you just choose that this is what you're going to say and hope or, you know, over time get better at that people will understand it and be able to integrate it into their knowledge. So the, the learning for me in becoming a writer was there is no guarantee that what I'm trying to say will be understood the way that I think it. So I have to be precise. I have to color it with as much story and experience as i can and then maybe people will get it and if people get it they will tell me and if they tell me that they got it i will keep writing like this Mm. it's an exploratory process coding often has a a very true false system you have a compiler an interpreter or whatever and you can check if what you say is going to work or not doesn't doesn't work with writing but as i became a better writer it also impacted the way I wrote my code and the, the way I built my products because I understand as a writer, people want value first. Like that's the thing. If you, if you read an article and you, you read a couple paragraphs in and it's not interesting, it doesn't capture, capture or captivate you, you leave, yep. right? You, you don't want to read the thing. You wouldn't want to read the, read the full thing to 
get the value out of it. If it doesn't hit you in the beginning, you're not going to sustain retention. Usually look at YouTube videos, right? It mm -hmm. starts high mm -hmm. and then it just drops off yep. immediately. Same deal. Content creation, right? YouTube, I consider writing as well because I script it, right? That's, that's kind mm -hmm. of it. So I learned to put value first and that has impacted the way I build products, software products. I try to get people to their, the moment of value recognition. There's probably a better name of this, but it's like when you first feel oh, this is what it's going to help me with, right? When you, when you first log into a thing and you type your first the message or you, you, you upload your first file and bam, it does the thing that takes you an hour, did it in two seconds. That's the moment I want to get to first as quickly as I can. I think it's, it's value in writing is equal to the aha moment in product. Yeah. And I think like, that these are both aha moments in writing yeah. too, right? Like um, um, a lot of people, it's like kind of with, even with Spotify, with music, where the chorus comes first now, where people start <laughs> their songs with the yeah. chorus because it hooks people immediately. Sure. The same deal is with writing an article, a tweet, whatever, the hook. hook. And I, I don't mean this in like a marketing kind of yeah, yeah, cringy yeah. way, but the thing that gets people to to already receive something out of it, that's the first thing you should put there which is why my writing has changed a lot over time. And my product work also is changing a lot over time. If I mm. cannot provide that hook, that why should you own this? Why should you pay me for this? If right. I can't put that right there front and center on the landing page even, but or in, in the first page of the dashboard or wherever you get people in your product, if that doesn't happen, then people will churn. So these are there are many more things obviously but i think these are one of the the, the the two of the strongest things that i've noticed i think those are the core important things because as a you have to think from a from an audience for a for a content standpoint and users from product standpoint right they have so much going on in their lives already so yeah. if they're giving attention these are the two things that grab people's yeah. attention so yeah, that's right let's 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 go a little bit tactical into sure. the, into that answer of yours which is you said value in writing, content creation, in aha moment in product. Mm -hmm. What are the things that you've experimented with content? Let's let's talk about mm -hmm. the content writer because that's your recent persona. Uh, and I think you're discovering mm -hmm. the aha moment, the builder persona, you know, in the next with podline, everything. Mm -hmm. So value first, like what do you say people should do, content creators? How do they get to that stage where like they should, they get the aha moment, uh, the value moment for themselves or, you know, they give the distribute that to other people. The trick is like for most people who write that they think they need to have it right the first time. Like the, when you write a draft, right? When you write an article or a script and you are of the opinion that you want the value to hit immediately, you like sit there for an hour trying to figure out the best hook, the best line or whatever. Might what I do in, in my writing, it's a, it's a very much multi-stage process. Like I use audio pen to just dictate my thoughts and audio pen takes the transcript and summarizes it. It doesn't even keep the transcript or it does keep it, but it, I don't use it. I just use the summary of mm. what I just rambled into my phone for like 30 minutes and it turns it into a couple interesting paragraphs. That is not my draft, but the outline for my draft. Then I start writing the thing. I just write the article and just really following the outline that I have. And once this first draft is done, then I think, well, here is everything that I wrote about, every, everything about this topic that I wanted to speak about. How can I find the most valuable thing and just pull it up? How can I reference it in the beginning? How can I, um, you know, like make a little hint that it's going to come or maybe just put it right in there and say, hey, 80% of people are of the opinion that X, Y, Z, and here is why. 
right? Like mm. that is that is how you would pull it up instead of saying, um, oh, I, I did a survey and the results will surprise you. You have to read the whole thing until, you know, like the, <laughs> that's not how it works anymore. You have to kind of pull the information up. And the trick is to liberally use AI tooling to get that out of stuff. Like if you have a draft and you don't really know what is the thing that might hook people the most, mm. throw the thing into ChatGPT and ask it, what is going to hook people the most? And it's going to mm -hmm. tell you, like, from your whole draft or whatever, this section likely has the potential to be the most hooking because, and then it comes up with some random, just hallucinated reason. But I've understood uh, these, this AI tool, like the L, most LLMs are, try, are designed to be as convincing as possible, right? right. So they, they check if their answer convinces as many people as it can. So... Mm -hmm. In the, if, if you then track, track that back into the decision that it makes about your draft, it will pull out the section where it's convinced that most people would likely find it the most interesting mm. because that's how it's internally structured as a, as a language model. So I trust ChatGPT to at least highlight, in most cases, the right area where people might be most interesting. And then I just take that and I just pull it up. Mm. Either I just copy it right up and I modify the part that is like in the latter part of the draft, or I just take the essence of this and write two, three lines to begin with, just to mm. get people right up to speed that this is where we're going to end up, or this is what we're going to get get to. So the, the actual answer to your question is editing. Like edit your work, yep. start drafting all the time, start from just a, a brain dump, and then edit it into a shape where you can find the value and move it to the front. And I, guess, I think the... Yeah, go ahead. I think the best editor is ChatGPT. I, I'm, I'm. That's great, right? It's not a creator. Yeah. It's, oh, no. it's someone who can take these insights or information and edits in a way that you can't imagine by yourself, right? Yes. Like I think that's why people are addicted to it. They ask these questions. I think the prompting is something that we give, and we get yeah. like a better result in the back. Yeah. Uh, you talk a lot about AI tools, and I think you know. Uh, I want. I want talk about podline a little later but sure. let's talk about the current side of yours mm -hmm. how much of your content creation process is driven by ai and what are the what are the what are the cons i think the pros we all know mm -hmm. what are the cons that people miss uh, by using it they should have oh you know what i should have paid attention to it mm. the cons i, I think um, well, I just said uh, most of my process like from the beginning that the drafting is AI assisted, right? I have tools that summarize what I say, sure. uh, tools that transcribe what I say, tools that then check and, and highlight things. Like there's a lot of deep analysis that I used to do myself mm. that I'm not doing anymore, right? It's not that I record like 30 minutes of myself and then I listen through it again and I allow my thoughts to to have room to breathe and <laughs> room to intersect and maybe bring in new thoughts that I had since I recorded that. No, I just have like a couple paragraphs of a transcript or a summarized transcript and that's all I have, right? right. Because I, it, the, the, the act of analyzing it has been taken over by the, the LLM. So the risk here, and in each of these steps, it's the same, right? The LLM does some thinking and that's obviously in quotes here, air quotes very important <laughs> like that thinking is not thinking it's just a reduction a reduction of complexity sure. that has some kind of internal judgment in it right like the the ai said this is the most important stuff that means everything else is not as important and that judgment is something that i don't get to make anymore mm. i get the judgment of 
is this correct? I get a like a verification judgment, but I don't get the the the, the, the was it the qualitative judgment. I get right. like a quantitative judgment. I get to like, give me five titles for this episode. I do this a lot, right? When I, uh, with every single week, I have an, a, a podcast episode with a guest. So I just throw it in auto AI. I think an auto AI has a chat GPT thing built in and I tell it, hey, give me five potential titles for this episode because Otter has the full transcript. It has mm. like split by person exactly mm. who is saying what they they know exactly what we talked about. It already gives me like little time fragments for clips and all that stuff. Like Otter has introspection into the conversation. So I ask it, give me the titles. And it gives me five titles. Three of them are complete garbage. Two of them <laughs> are kind of okay. And I pick the one that is okayest and I make it better. Right. So my judgment is out of all the things that in my brain I could have dreamt up mm. like from this conversation, I get like three shitty versions and two kind of nice-ish, right? And good. then I make a choice. Yeah. Super reductive. So right. that's the thing. AI usage is hyper-reductive and it keeps you from properly letting the thoughts and the feelings and the, the concepts grow in your brain as we used to do, right? You read a book, it stays with you after you close it. Mm. That is all taken away by AI. So if you are a person, and maybe that's the important part here, that can only do deep work by deep analysis and reflection, and you, you're not okay with saying like 80-20 doesn't matter, right? If you are somebody who needs the full insight into this, then using AI tools will rob you of an important part of the process. Mm. If you're fine with it, if you, if you, uh, if you say uh, working on a deadline, if you have to produce stuff by, you know, tomorrow yep. and you don't want to spend two hours thinking about a title and you say 80, 20, fine with me, like 80, 80% effort, you know, uh, what is it? Like 20% effort, 80% yep. of the time. You know what I mean? Like the yeah, 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 Pareto yeah. principle. Yeah, yeah. The, if, if you're okay with that, then AI tools are spectacular. So I guess that's that's one of the cons that I see. I'll, I'll, beside the whole privacy thing, like that may be the other thing that everything you give to OpenAI is kind of owned by Microsoft now, which makes right. the your content probably fed into the next iteration of ChatGPT. And if you don't want all your thoughts to be accessible, all all the, all the things you you talk about, all the drafts <laughs> you have, all the the deep questions that you might yeah. be asking, right? Like if, if, if there's all this this uh, you know that what's the story there um when google was doing a lot of ads like ad prediction or like uh, customer targeting and delivering certain ads to certain people and this has nothing to do with ai that was really just like st yeah, stochastical yeah. statistical analysis often they would present ads about pregnancy products before the women knew they were pregnant to these women right yep. because the the inference from the the models that they were using was so good at pr predicting Thank things you. from the behaviors of people that they saw a shift and they associated with other shifts of pregnant people and they would share that with people often that that is it's it's funny for most but right. it's disastrous for teenage pregnancies yeah. for people in very traditional societies where an unexpected pregnancy means means uh, social ostracism or something like that yeah, right yeah. there's risk in this yeah. and that is pre AI. Now, with AI, you have a full conversation with a computer yep. about maybe one of your darkest secrets, and it's owned by Microsoft, right? Or yep. whatever AI you currently use. There is a big risk there, too, that your thoughts and your, your just proprietary thoughts that are yours, that right. you want to maybe turn into something monetizable, right. are now kind of going into an open system that everybody can use. That's also a big risk that I see. I think uh, just one 
I definitely want to elaborate on that. But what you said is absolutely true. I think AI is here to reduce, right? It's it's going to do the brainless work and leaving the brain full work, if that's yep. a word, to us yeah. humans yeah. so that we enjoy the creative part of it or we sit on the information that we really makes us rethink and gives makes us better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about the privacy thing. What do you think the solution is? Like, you know, is there, is there a, is there a Apple in-house <laughs> or on-device type, uh, you know, two-layer <laughs> protective thing that needs to be done? Probably there is a startup for that. What do you think about I'm gonna... the privacy thing? Yeah. I'm going to give you the answer that probably most listeners are really going to hate here. But as a European, <laughs> as a German, I think regulation is the answer. Like, mm. the, you know, like with the whole USB-C debacle with the chargers yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. And, and uh, what is it? The, the other thing that the privacy, the cookie law and, and whatnot, yeah, yeah. you know, people. G- uh, GBDR or whatever it is. Yeah. The, G- the rules. The, the, yeah. yeah. G- GDPR. GDPR. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, so many acronyms. But the, <laughs> a lot of people um, antagonized European Union for kind of pushing this on the world's population. Mm. And I see I see some issues with this in, in terms of the self-determination and all that. But beyond the political of this, the fact that some somebody feels responsible for regulating this is a good thing. Because mm. we will see widespread abuse of this information if there is no recompense or if there, if there's no consequence to using it for whatever you want right wasn't it just a couple days ago that um open ai removed a, a certain section of their tos that said ChatGPT is not allowed to be used for warfare or for uh, for for military use they mm. removed this right like it took google 18 years to right. remove their don't be evil slogan from their properties. They were don't be evil for 18 years. Mm. OpenAI is what, like three, four years old? And yeah. already they removed don't make war with our product yeah. from yeah. their their terms, right? Hearsay. I'm not a legal expert and I'm not clear if this is exactly what it means, but yeah, yeah. that was big on Hacker News a couple of days ago. So it, it speeds up. The development of these tools, like GPT-5 is around the corner, apparently, mm-hmm. and it's yet another quantum leap better than GPT-4, which is already massive. So if there is no attempt at regulating this, at like blocking certain information from being used as training data, mm-hmm. or from you being able to impact the next iteration of training data by having some kind of I'm I'm allowed to take this out of the training data, mm-hmm. like you you have uh, with the uh, you know the the DCMA, like the Copyright Millennium Act, and you can mm-hmm. strike GitHub repositories and YouTube videos for things, you know, if, if you're not, yep. if they're not supposed to be there, mm-hmm. or Google results for that matter. We need this for the training data and the inference data that exists in models like this. I mm-hmm. think we need it. Obviously, there should be a discussion around it. My point is, if we don't have a, a limit or a way to remove it from this data, then the data will eat us. And the companies that do this for profit, yeah, will not care about our privacy because that yeah. is not a profit generator for them. So I guess regulation is one way. Otherwise, obviously, it could also be an ethical impetus mm. from inside the companies. I think Google yep. used to have an ethics in AI um, segment, which they all let go for some reason. Weird, huh? Yeah. And you, this could also be in the interest of these companies to build the first ethical AI. I think Apple 
has been doing something with um, behind the scenes training their own models. I'm not sure what it's called. It's, it's not weasel, but it's something like this, like some weird little animal ferret. That's what it's called. Mm. Um, there is a an AI, an LNM, a model for um, edge devices, for iPhones or iPads, effectively, where they're building a multimodal large language model that is trained on licensed data only. And that's the, that's the magical part. The magical part is not that it's multimodal, which means like it can do video, audio, and text all in one, which is great. Right. But the fact that it's trained on data that it's allowed to train on, that is new. And that is the thing that I want to see more of because I don't think OpenAI cared much. I think a lot of uh, authors found their full books in the training corpus of those models. Yeah, they asked them talk, about yeah. stuff that only the book owner or only the, a reader of the book would know. And they paraphrased from the book. So, yikes. I would assume that my books are in there as well. As well yeah, at of this course. Point. <laughs> and if you I, can just upload data, then it's all there, right? And as, as much as I don't like it, I kind of like it because <laughs> then I you know, can just ask, what would I say? And then it's going to say it. But you know, there's, there's a big risk into ownership. Like if, if we think that the capitalist model of owning assets is a thing, right? The idea of ownership is something that we care a lot about then maybe our data should not be freely usable by these companies. Right. I, so I think the, the regulation stuff is definitely good because it's, it generalizes the whole industry, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's a rule that everybody should follow. Mm-hmm. And whoever follow, who doesn't follow, it's like, you know, we have trust issues with them and we, don't, we stop using, which yeah. takes down the business. But I, I, do you think there would... Is there a way, I'm just brainstorming here. Uh, sorry for the listeners. Is there a way like how Apple does on-device encryption or something mm-hmm. that, there are two ways that Apple does really well, which I really admire. One is the on-device encryption, which the, the voice is, the, we ask Siri something, it's not, yeah. you know, until we give the permission. That's the second bit, the on, on-device encryption and number two, the permission. Like mm-hmm. if I, as an individual, by consent say that hey i'm okay to release all the things i'm interacting with my phone to apple yeah that's thumbs up i think they did something with apps as well like you this app is asking you location do you want to do it once yeah while use the app or forever so it's giving me choices if i choose it that means it's and that's like the simplest way to do this i don't know if chat gpt or people at OpenAI want to do that because I think it's data versus the other things. They need more data to feed in. But uh, do you think there exists a a solution in terms of a Chrome uh, extension or something like that where it encrypts the data so that people feel safe, but yet they can use... I think you're you're onto something here, but I think it's it's not going to happen... On the the service level, I, like I don't I don't think you can, or it has to happen like deeper than the interface level. Like I don't think you can encrypt uh. something on your browser, send it over to ChatGPT, but then it it gets decrypted there because it needs to be to be able to be put into the model and get a response from. I uh. think where privacy comes in is on device trained like custom models. 
I think right. this is there's there's a tendency right now to to go for, to these big models that are all trained on like publicly available data, GPT four, GPT three point five, even like the Mistral models and all the the other things that you can find on HuggingFace.co, which is a great website if you're ever interested <laughs> in the weird massive amount of models that you can potentially run. <laughs> they they all are effectively publicly available. Plus, they all say which data sets go into them, so that's kind of sure. nice to look into. But they're public models, right? Everybody can download a copy of this model and run it on their own computer or run it on their phone if it fits. There are iPhone apps that allow you to run the 7 billion parameter model by Mistral, which is a French company that made a, an open it's open source uh, LLM that is almost as good, if not even better than ChatGPT 3.5. You can mm. run this on your phone today. It is mm. going to be slower than ChatGPT because it's not running on a massive GPU cluster mm -hmm, with all mm -hmm. these fancy graphics cards. It's just running on your phone. But it does infer like you ask it a question and 30 seconds later, you get the answer. Still, baby steps, but yep. steps, right? So yep. this is a, a model that is on device. It's publicly available. You download it to your device. I think what you're asking is, can we have a model that is not public, but it is made on your device? It yep. is trained on your device, right? It grows with your device and yep. nobody else gets to use it. Yep. There is a movement in AI where company-wide models are trained with the information from inside the company, from all the emails that go through the company, from all the, the memos that fly around, all the data and, you know, from some kind of analytics platforms, whatever. And that goes into a, a, a local training for a local, but like internal AI system. It's kind of, I don't know, Samsung GPT or, you know, like Airbnb GPT or whatever it is. Yeah. For each of these companies, you could train one model that takes all the public or the internal but public information like emails and pulls it all together and then gives you answers to, towards that. So the answer is private models, like isolated mm. private models. That's the only way you can safely assume that nobody has access to your information if the only way to access your information is from that device and it does not upload the model anywhere. Maybe we should build it. <laughs> Man, if only, like, you know what, I, I'm... <laughs> As, as I'm working with Podline and the little tools that I built around Podline to do marketing and stuff, which are also a very interesting thing, yeah, just yeah. to build tools with AI for a tool that uses AI. It's bizarre. As the more I do it, the more I see that you really need to have a lot of money <laughs> to do this, right? Like uh, building a SaaS tends to be a pretty um, cheap thing to do. Yeah. Right? If you just need a database and a web server or whatever, that okay. doesn't cost you more than like 20 bucks a month if you get like a Hetzner server or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you just run a full install of whatever there and you get free Cloudflare and it's encrypted and whatnot, done, right? You have a local database, a local whatever deployment you have, it's fine, 20 bucks. But the moment you want to run inference on any kind of AI model, either you have to use OpenAI's API, which mm -hmm. costs you like a fraction of a cent per use, but you probably have a lot of uses. So it costs you a lot of cents, which mm -hmm. adds to dollars and that becomes a lot of money. Or you have to run the model locally on your computer, which yeah. if it doesn't have a GPU is horribly slow. Like yeah. CPU based inference is like a hundred times slower than GPU based inference. So mm. it, it still works kind of. And if you have the time in the back end to process a couple things, you can still do it. But if you want to have a snappy interface, you need to pay. You either need to rent a server with a GPU or you go to replicate or you go um, and use the OpenAI API for their stuff. You, there's always money flowing around every time you use AI. So mm -hmm. it's hard to build things that require training, which is a very GPU intense thing, mm -hmm. to build that in your own backyard.
Like if you don't have like a massive gaming computer with like two gigantic graphics cards in there, right. even that is not going to be fast compared to the the servers that you could potentially rent for hundreds of dollars an hour. So mm. it's a money game at this point. It's funny, think, right? Everybody wants to do AI, but that's the that's the expensive part. Funny enough, yeah. I think there are uh, the SaaS tools which are wrappers. You know, they're yep, getting a they, big they work. Paid. Yeah, they work. It's it's easy to build, right? Like you know. Uh, you use the OpenAI models. The API. And you pass it through, right? You you use your um, your OpenAI API key sometimes to put into the wrapper, and the wrapper just does the call for you. But you yeah. still pay for the the actual inference or whatever it is the the, the thing you want from the the OpenAI API. Yes, the wrappers are wonderful for this. Also makes them risky as a business because mm. they can be easily replaced by somebody yep. that just wraps slightly better. <laughs> but um, if you don't build a wrapper, if you build a business that has API calls at its center that are mm -hmm. not compensated by your user, you have to be horribly careful about mm. how many API calls you do, particularly if you have a freemium model. It's very, very disastrous, yeah. right? Right. So it can be it can be quite expensive if people don't pay for it. So you have to be careful with this. But as we are getting better and running AI locally on like phones or mm -hmm. edge devices. That's what I call it. Your computer is an edge mm -hmm. device. Your mm -hmm. phone is an edge device because it's at the edge of the network. Yeah, yeah. As we get there, technologies emerge that allow us to run them on our local devices. And that means that they will also eventually run on the server more easily without the mm. GPU and all that. But mm. we still are not at a point where it can be completely done just on a server farm you need expensive hardware for this yeah. so unfortunately the train ai for businesses unless you have the money obviously you have the investment or whatever it's not good for bootstrappers i don't think that's a, a bootstrappable business that's what i would say that's what i was about to tell i think uh, all these you know companies uh who are kind of pushing the boundaries further mm -hmm. they need vc money right in for this yeah for sure because they're they're kind of expanding the horizon, like you said, we're still early. We're in the beginning days, early days. So uh, we should take this uh, discussion to private, probably. Like we, I'll I'll call you <laughs> some of the time. Yeah. Now let's talk so. about. Yeah, I, I know we're kind of like up up the time. I have like a couple of more things to. Sure. By the way, for listeners, for the first time ever in my journey as a host, I don't have research. Nice. I don't have any papers. <laughs> My desk is empty. I just awesome. came with an open mind talking to my friend. Just we're, we're you know, riffraffing here. Talk about Podline. Like, out of all the things you did, like, how did you find the time to build? What ignited mm -hmm. you? Like, you know what? You're in a flow. You're, you're hitting, you know, home runs all the mm -hmm. time with the content. What made you, I'm not saying stop that, but kind of shifting gears mm -hmm. and say, you know what? Let's build this. I was talking to two people very recently on my podcast. One was Jack Ellis of Fathom Analytics, and the other guy was Aaron Francis, uh, who runs a screencasting course and works for PlanetScale, which is a, a database provider. And mm -hmm. both of these guys are Laravel, PHP Laravel experts, or people who love using Laravel as a technology. 
And in talking to them, I found something that I haven't really found in many other frameworks or web development frameworks, like people that were genuinely kind and excited about their projects, like the, the <laughs> technology that they use. And I come from the JavaScript world. It's a very combative world. Like people are very opinionated about like React or Vue.js or Svelte or whatever you need, like the newest kind of framework, newest kind of tech, Node.js or Dino or whatever, right? There's a lot of fighting. And it felt like the, that particular world that the PHP Laravel framework world did not have this as much. And I was surprised by this because I remember PHP from back in the early 2000s as a fairly combative landscape. But apparently it has evolved quite to a point where a really cool framework came out of it with an amazing ecosystem. Like I did not expect to find not only a great framework, which is something that you use in coding just to set up the basics, but to find a plugin and extension ecosystem that was also maintained by the people who were building the framework. Like the, the, the Laravel community around Taylor Otwell and, and the, the business of Laravel is, is incredible. Like I, I just saw amazing people talking about it. So I thought, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to build a little mm. project. What should I do? And I had a, a backlog of ideas that I wanted to build once I felt the need to build again. And Podland has always been like it, uh, one of them. Right? Always been on my mind as one of these, these projects because I thought, huh, I used uh, the competitor for this, which I think is called SpeakPipe for mm. a couple times. And I see it being used on Seth Godin's podcast and I see it being used on other podcasts. In fact, I did some competitor research. I found it being used on over 4,000 websites. And I was like, huh. Oh. If if this particular product, which is one of many, is used by thousands of people, most of which are podcasts, maybe I can build one that is better because I wanted a better one than that. It wasn't customizable, didn't have themes, didn't had an interface that looked like it was from the 90s. I just <laughs> wanted something that, you know, more that is more visually appealing and had more functionality. None of the, the tools that I found had transcription or had summarization. And I wanted, if I get a message, to get a summary. Mm. I wanted to see like, oh yeah, Sharath gave you a, a call, a talk for three minutes, but there's really one thing you wanted to talk about and it's this, right? Mm. That's the thing I want to see in the top of my email. I don't want to listen to three minutes of audio. I mean, right. I would listen to three minutes of you, but <laughs> if it's somebody that I don't, don't know and they have yeah. an offer for me or they have a question, why not get to the point? So right. I, I wanted to build something like this. Hence, Podline came to be because I wanted to see can I use this technology? And I know in my book, I talk about not using new technology for new projects. Mm. If you're starting out, I guess this was more of a side project than anything else. I wanted to see, can I build a Laravel thing? How easy is it to use it? Right. And then Potline was, well, this is the thing that is easy to build, easily scoped. It's a voice messaging system. All I need is capture audio data, put it in the database, play it, summarize it, done. Right? Mm. Potline is factually feature complete, complete as of last week or so when I finished theming. So now. It's a, it's a little project that I wanted right. to build and I wanted to explore a new tech. And that's how it came to be. I think it's, it's, I heard a lot of people say, or they claim that all of, so most of their ideas are born from out of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think for the first time, your curiosity is not about the idea, but about technology. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's right. like, can I build or can I use this technology to build something? Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, I am. I love that. And what are the things that you've, apart from technology, which is new to you, mm -hmm. uh, from feedback panda days to now, mm -hmm. what is something that you're doing completely radically different? Um, th this time I'm actually using like AI tools to do the heavy lifting. Like for 
the, the, the main feature of this thing is not voice, like getting audio data from a browser. There are thousands of plugins that record mm. audio data through a browser. But to have it automatically transcribed and summarized in the background, I've never done anything like this before. And without an AI system, without like literally two big LLM systems running on that server, doing manual inference on the CPU, like the slowest possible way, without that technology, I don't think I could do this. Like, I don't think I could summarize a, a three-minute audio clip into two sentences. I just couldn't. I couldn't mm-hmm. build that, right? I would have to build my own machine learning system and then do, I don't know what I would do. I could probably get transcription done. Not sure how I would do that without Whisper, like OpenAI's uh, free audio transcription LLM system. But uh, I, I would have no idea how to do this without using external services. But now... I get to do this on my server. Like it's an encapsulated mm. system that doesn't need any external things to function, to provide massive value. So that's, um, that's, that's new. It's, it's new to, to use AI as a backend system, not just as a service, but to right. have it as part of my backend. And obviously it's not optimal. Like right. it's much easier to send an, uh, an API request to open AI to, for this for like four tenths of a, of a cent or whatever. But I get to do it 10 times as slow for free. That's really cool. Like I would, I would, everybody who works with AI, try to set it up locally. See how, and if you can, because all those models you use like ChatGPT 3.5 or whatever, there are equivalents for them out there that you can just install locally using, I think it's called llama.cpp, L-L-A-M-A.cpp. That is the the tool that runs things like Mistral, or mm-hmm. other full, fully featured, like massive gigabytes in size, living in the RAM uh, LLMs, you can oh, yeah. run them locally them. and you can send a message to them and they send you a reply back and it costs you nothing but RAM and electricity. Mm. Try that. <laughs> Try seeing what you can do with something that runs on your computer for free. Your local computer, like if you have a, a Mac Studio or Mac Mini or whatever, it have a GPU, it's going to be even faster if you compile it right. But... You can have this this magical thing that did not exist a year ago that we were not aware of, like in in twenty twenty two or whatever, where it was just an inkling, right? Where just the the most nerdiest of nerds knew about this. <laughs> that thing can now live on your computer, and you can run it every single hour. Like you can ask it questions all the time. I actually, and I'm gonna be, be quick about this. Yeah, I built a little ahead. tool for Podline to, to enable me to do marketing. Because the idea is I have this list of these, all these companies that have the competitors products. They all have podcasts, right? So right. what, what do I want to do? Well, I want to know what their podcast is about. What kind of image, what thumbnail do they have? What right. colors do they use? So I can automatically generate mm. uh, a theme for Podline, automatically generate their Podline landing page, and then send them an email with, hey, I made this for you. Want to use it? It's free, Mm. right? That's what I want to do. And for that, I need to know what podcasts are out there, what their themes are, how I should speak to them, and what their images are. So I built a little tool two days ago that effectively uses the podcastindex.org API to Mm -hmm. pull in the most recent releases of all podcasts everywhere. And then it downloads the latest episode it downloads the information about the podcast. It transcribes the latest episode on my computer and it puts the transcript in a database. And now I can score each episode as to, do they talk about voice messaging? Do they talk about, ask people to send in a message? Do they ask people to, to go to nice. a speak pipe or a competitor to put a message in? 
and I get all podcasts everywhere. Like this computer right next to me has been transcribing as we were speaking for this whole hour. I think wow. like a couple hundred episodes of podcasts to maybe hit one where they talk about the thing that I need. So this yeah. little tool is becoming a whole business in itself, potentially, mm. right? Because if I can ask it, does, did Maybe anybody mention SpeakPipe? Yeah. Well, then other people can ask it, did they mention my brand? Did they yeah. mention something else? Like, it, it's it's so funny how entrepreneurship works. Yes. Like, you build something that is kind of scoped, but you need something to market it, and that becomes a whole new thing. <laughs> and, and and all of this is running locally. Like, this this is a, a Mac Studio, pretty sizable, 64 gigabytes of RAM with a integrated GPU or whatever. This can transcribe an hour of audio in wow. a minute on, wow. on, one, on, on, the, on its GPU. So I'm wow. just throwing audio at it. Like it's had 60 hours in, in an hour, like 60 hours of audio in one hour. And it's running 24 seven because it all, and every 10 minutes, it goes to the API, fetches the most recent episodes that were released everywhere and just Ooh. picks a couple of them and integrates it into the system. I have so much fun building, as you can probably tell. Yeah. Like it's it's just it enables me to build something cool, learn through the process. And the whole thing with Laravel is the same, right? I now learned that I can, and not just me, anybody can who is who's a coder, set up a functioning business of a product in two days. Install Laravel, install Spark, install all the little plugins that you need to get Stripe integrated, to get users, customers integrated, to get started. And then you have a fully functioning wow. template and you just integrate whatever you need to do to actually provide the value. Two days, not more. Like you don't need more time than that. Wow. And that just blows my mind. And, and that's, that's what I love about being a builder right now. I get to play with these little things. I, yeah, I, I, will. I think for people who are listening, I'm just telling this exactly for you. I am seeing a little kid right now <laughs> talking to me yep. whose eyes are white. I have a son <laughs> who is two, two and a half year old. You are like him, Arvid. <laughs> you are like white. He, whenever he, he finds an interesting toy, he loves his whites. Yep. His eyes goes like, you know, <laughs> like a size of a moon. You're, you're like that. You're yep. like a kid in a like candy it. store playing <laughs> with it. And I love this. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, uh, I, it's contagious and now i'm feeling the the joy that i have to do something like yeah. this right <laughs> that gives me that you know that feeling i'm so happy for you oh, i feel you. uh i love i love this side of you uh mm -hmm. you know which i always admired from the feedback panda days and you know uh <laughs> but yeah the content side of course you're a great teacher you're a professor you, you with kindness right like you don't belt people but you say hey this is the way to you know yeah uh, but i think i i, I want to end this conversation on that note because you feel Aww. like my son right now. Like so I, so this is so happy. sweet <laughs> i appreciate that so much and i i, I feel uh, thank you i just that's all i want to say thank you for that because i i that the fact that i get to do this is already magical. Like I said, it's wizardry, right? I feel, honestly, I always thought I, I regretted not getting my Hogwarts letter like as a wizard, but I, I did it. And it, it was my first computer. <laughs> it, it allowed me to get into a world where I can make right. magic happen. And I get to do this in front of people and I get to share it with them and they now get to do it as well. Like, could this be more exciting? I don't know. I don't think <laughs> so, right? It's, it feels like uh, we, we are on, on the verge of something much, much bigger with the whole AI singularity mm. conversation, which we probably shouldn't get into because yeah. that's going to take another hour. But yeah. to be able to contribute a little bit to making the world a better place, more usable place, a more um, 
just it's not even profit oriented just a, a, a more abundant place for people and i get to do this and, and share this this joy with others i i feel very happy about that yeah i think so you talk a lot about tactical stuff mm-hmm. and i i haven't seen some of the stuff you mentioned in your tweets probably i'm i'm sure that you're going to record an episode in on friday about this particular conversation we had just in the last few minutes i'm excited to tune in <laughs> even though i'm not a coder i just yeah. want to listen to you talk about <laughs> with joy yeah. so uh yeah i think talk about this more often arvind yeah. you know i think not about the coding i mean it involves coding but i think yeah. that the passion is what i feel you know yeah. You, you I, thanks, thanks for for pushing me a little bit into that direction. I I've been moving more towards that. Like mm. my my podcast is two episodes a week. One is the interview where it's all about like concepts and you know tangible advice from that other expert. And I used to be very focused on like think pieces on Fridays, but mm. I found most recently I just talk more about my projects and the little things that I do, and that also resonates with people on a different level. Yes. right they they already get the big picture stuff from the interviews and yes. why not spend it just sharing my my journey that's ultimately yeah. building in public yes. right it's not just concepts but like in in the trenches i don't like the phrase but like it, yes. it, at work behind the scenes stuff yeah. that's that's what really uh, connects with people yeah that's and, you, that's you showing the path and yeah. uh, i'm sorry i didn't wear billion public shirt yeah i got from you <laughs> it's somewhere stuck in the boxes i'm sure probably like you know Dude, next time talk. next time next we talk time. yeah probably i'll wear it on your show when i come right. you know i have well, to if you can find it you only yes. have a couple days yes 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 i will i will oh, that's uh, cool. but this has been a blast and i think oh, i really enjoyed too. just just talking out you know in the open Thanks, with you and appreciate you for joining the second time it is uh, thank you for being here thank you it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you 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 are so kind and you have such a such an interesting way of of extracting like the the emotional truth from things. I think mm. you're great at that. So I really appreciate you talking to me. That was wonderful. awesome. All right guys, that's a wrap for today. I'll be back with another amazing guest like Arvid and stay tuned, you know. I, I want to try this experiment with others as well. I feel like mm. it might work. It might work. Uh we'll see. But stay tuned, stay healthy, stay positive, do your thing. You know, you're going to be awesome. Cheers. <laughs>